Welcome to Maker Mom, a podcast where I explore the stories of Maker Moms and the life they lead. Each week, I will bring you the behind the scenes story of a new Maker Mom. I'm Katie Freeman, a furniture designer and content creator running FreemanFurnishings.com and your host of the Maker Mom podcast. You can find Maker Moms hanging out in the Facebook community at Maker Moms and on the web at MakerMomPodcast.com. If you love what you hear, please subscribe, leave a stellar review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of the Maker Mom podcast. This week's guests, there's an S at the end there, is the amazing couple of Marielle and Lisa. Um, A fantastic time chatting with them and learning about all of the kind of really awesome things that they both have uh, gotten into, as well as their pretty awesome like day job work too. Uh, So really had a blast chatting with these two wonderful ladies and I know you will really enjoy this episode as well. But before we hop on into the interview, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon, which uh, there's a there's a new one today. So thank you so much, Christina B, Jeremy Spies of Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Lauren, Rasp File Designs, Sven, Dwarf Sized Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Amy, Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly, Reclaimed Living Store, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Kathy, One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued ongoing support of the podcast, helping me get out two episodes a week. All right, with no further ado, here is Marielle and Lisa. Well, if you don't have any questions, I always start the episodes off with having my guests introduce themselves. So I'm going to let you both tell the world who you are whenever you are ready. Okay, well, I'm going first. I am Lisa Cravens-Brown, and um, I am kind of a crafter maker type person. So I do some quilting and some knitting and I've been during COVID, I've been making some masks, but I also love to forge and love to uh, work with my hands and other materials. And then I, um, whenever Marielle does glass blowing, I also like to assist her uh, in her glass blowing. Awesome. And I'm uh, Marielle Brinkman. Uh, I've been glass blowing since the early nineties. Um, but I also have done woodworking and metal fabrication, uh, also some machining. And then my newest uh, interest has been blacksmithing. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've been watching watching the forging and blacksmithing most recently, and I thoroughly enjoy that. I'm one of those weird people who's like totally into forged by fire just because it's like, but you get to set things on fire intentionally. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anything that involves fire is good. Yeah, I, you know, that show is so interesting because it really did bring blacksmithing forward again, and mm-hmm. which I think is really good. It um, you don't want it to become a lost 
art. So I think some, the black, some of the blacksmith community feels ambivalent about things mm. like Forged in Fire because it doesn't really paint a realistic picture of what it would take to make a really great knife um, or a really great sword. I mean, that takes hours and hours and hours. And so I think people feel ambivalent about portraying this um, very uh, skill-based task yeah. in such a short time but at the same time you want visibility for this important skill so yeah I, I uh, think you might be only the second like kind of that blacksmith type craft uh on the podcast I had Lindsay of Lindsay Creative on uh -huh. um uh, and she hasn't really been able to do much blacksmithing with COVID just because of uh, access to, you know, be able to do that. But she was talking about like how, you know, there will be these guys that watch Fortune Fire and then like go out and buy like everything that you need to like do those things uh, before actually trying it out first. And That's right. They kind of wonder why does their knife look the way it looks first. Uh, well, awesome. Well, before we get into like how both of you got in kind of into the crafts you do, I want to go back a ways to your childhood and ask you about like, where did you guys grow up? What things were you interested in then? Um, I grew up in uh, Northeastern Ohio in Akron, Ohio, the rubber capital of the world. Uh, and um, I was a dancer, so I did, I started in ballet when I was a little tot, and then I did musical theater. Um, I actually uh, did theater professionally for a couple of years before college, um, but, but making and um, putting your hands on materials is a part of our family and has been for a long while. Um, my parents bought a house when I was very young that was kind of a Civil War era house and it needed a lot of work and they did every single piece of that work themselves. So I grew up, you know, helping them strip paint and uh, paint new things and look at wood and taking the shale off of the roof and, you know, putting on a new roof. And uh, my mom also was a costume designer and so she sewed my whole life. And uh, so putting your hands on materials has been a part of my life, my whole life. So I grew up uh, in a suburb outside of Chicago uh, in a post-war house. So, you know, we had the clamshell molding and the hollow doors. And uh, I never really thought about it until uh, I went to college and I uh, was living with uh, a bunch of women in a house that was built in the 1900s where, you know, the molding was like one foot, you know, thick, uh, walnut molding and I mean just the doors were these pocket doors that were you know solid wood and just really beautiful and that had a, a profound effect on me you know being around um, craftsmanship that had been done in the early 1900s and and also you know solid wood and seeing that the different grain patterns uh, I really grew uh, very interested in woodworking um, the, uh, the tools in our house when I was a kid were not really very well taken care of. They were sort of scattered around. So there wasn't a whole lot of making going around. Um, my mother was a seamstress. And so she would often lay out her patterns on the floor 
And that was kind of fascinating to see the different uh, pieces and parts that go into an individual garment because, you know, typically you don't think that, you know, a piece of clothing actually has pieces and parts. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then when I got to college, um, my first girlfriend actually taught me how uh, we both rode motorcycles. And so she taught me how to change a tire and tighten the chain and uh, change the spark plugs in a motorcycle. And that was really a great experience for me as well. And then I just kind of went from there to various other hobbies and interests. Okay. So, I mean, did either one of you, I guess, what did you guys go to college for? Was either one of you in a creative field when you went to college? Uh, I am a psychologist. So I went in, actually, when I went to college, I had to stop doing theater because graduate school is um, demanding. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's the family friendly version mm -hmm. of how I feel about graduate school. So um, I, I went, I got my PhD in psychology and got my license. And uh, so my day job, the thing that I do that makes the money is uh, that I work at a university in a psychology department. Okay. Teaching or like seeing patients or both? I do. Uh, I am licensed, but I'm not seeing any clients. I do primarily teaching and curriculum development and mentoring of new teachers. Okay. Marielle, what about you? So uh, Lisa and I actually work at the same university, the Ohio State University, um, but I'm not a teacher. I am a senior research scientist. So I, I do clinical research uh, trying to understand uh, the toxicants that people are exposed to every day. Super interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you ask if we do anything creative, why well, yes, I'm a chemist. We're constantly doing, we're constantly pushing the, bar the barrier and doing creative things in chemistry. You can also understand why if we, if you ever see us out in a maker class, we are the most, um, PPE people there. We, <laughs> yeah, we right. always have our respiratory our and our hearing because yeah. she's, uh, you know, when you live with an exposure assessment scientist, you really work on uh, limiting your exposure to environment. That's, that's good though. That is, yeah. that's good. I, I am kind of similar. I like go over the top what I think some people would consider over the top for woodworking PPE. And I'm always looking for like how to even up the game even more. Um, and, and I think that comes from my background in like manufacturing and seeing like, especially seeing how many uh, people post retirement end up having like cancer and serious health issues, you know, that can all kind of be linked back to yeah. that work environment. Um, and so I've always just been like, nope, over, over the top safety. Yeah, when it it's comes. smart. Yeah, it's yeah. smart, especially the the woods there. You don't really always know the origins of the woods mm -hmm. and some of those woods just in and of themselves can be toxic. You really don't want to be breathing that stuff in. Yeah, yep. it's good to protect your lungs, especially yes. some of these exotics. Uh, some of the exotic woods have are highly uh, allergenic. Yeah, I remember I learned that I took, um, I didn't get to finish the program, but I started a program um, in furniture design and that very first like class in that program, we spent so much time just learning about like wood species and identifying it and what it's yeah. all about. And I remember learning that about, especially like um, all the different types of rosewoods and their natural occurring oils and how you shouldn't even try to work with that with a client unless you can know 
like mm -hmm. that they aren't going to have an allergic reaction to what's uh, yeah. the natural oils in that wood. And it's stuff that I don't think your average person ever thinks about, <laughs> like mm -hmm. ever even yeah. considers. Um, <clears throat> so super interesting. Also, if I was a true uh, I would say if I was a good Iowa girl, I would say you are the enemy for working at the Ohio State against the <laughs> Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, <laughs> we could kind of come back at the, you know, but yeah, so we have to suspend our Big Ten rivalry for the purposes of maker unity, I think. That, yeah. That's right. And and I will say I am not a good Iowa girl. I don't really um, <laughs> I'm not, you know, down to the core, yellow, bleeding, uh, golden black. But um, so, okay, so you are doing something, like you said, still, you know, kind of creative with your uh, day job, if you will. But where do you, uh, I guess I want to ask first, how, where, how did you guys meet? Oh, we met in the Columbus Women's Chorus. Oh, yes. <laughs> I choreographed a piece for one of our concerts. Uh, so we did uh, the subblock tango from Chicago. <laughs> and uh, Marielle was one of my dancers. And uh, the, you know, the rest is history there. Is history. Which, you know, if podcast land could see me, you would <laughs> see how crazy that sounds. But yes, I was one of her dancers. <laughs> yes, it was uh that I love that story. Um, so that also means that you both can sing and I will stand on the opposite side of that that says I sound like a strangled cat when I attempt to sing. So, <laughs> um, so when do you get into kind of getting more into your crafts, getting more into, you know, working with materials, woodworking, metalworking, um, you know, fabric uh, crafts, when do you both start kind of entertaining that? Well, I think, um, you know, one of the things that sort of pushed us towards this uh, early on um, when we first got together, we do have two children. Now they're uh, 21 and 17, Alden, our girl's 21, and Ethan is 17 years old. But uh, when we got together, Ethan was, what, three years old? And uh, it was uh, Lisa's tradition to have very elaborate uh, birthday parties. And so um, one of the things that she asked me to work on very early on in her courtship <laughs> was a pinata. And so um, I didn't want to make a smashy pinata because <laughs> I don't know if you've seen children when you hand them a bat and there's a something <laughs> in the room that's hanging that, just, <laughs> that they know has candy in it. They really don't care who, who no. is around. No, they do not. <laughs> when you consider that there's only one pinata and 20 children, you can do the math and realize that it's going to be the children that are going to get bashed. And so and the first thing that I made was for Ethan was a string pinata, which is uh, has like 40 or so strings and, and the child, everyone steps up to the pinata and pulls a random string. And there's only one, of course, that lets all the candy out. And that, that, that was actually a Tyrannosaurus Rex. So that when you pulled the string, the Tyrannosaurus Rex mouth opened. And like, I had never and made it out. before. <laughs> like five pounds of candy just hit the floor. And all these kids just dove in. It was like a mosh pit. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, so she started designing ever more elaborate pinatas. So the kids, we would let them pick like the theme of their party and our kids are really creative, brilliant people. And so they always picked really interesting yeah. themes for a while, Alden, our daughter, was really into exploring other cultures. And so we did um, a China theme for one and a India theme for another. And so um, we would tell them, okay, um, it's time to lock in your theme, you know, whatever, <laughs> right. in advance. And so they'd lock in the theme and then Marielle would go to work designing the pinata. And um, as the kids got older, you have to become a little bit more clever about the strings because <laughs> yeah. these kids come to the birthday parties year after year after year and they figure out like, like which strings string. Yeah. <laughs> and so she would observe like, how can they tell that this is the right string? And then she would rig the strings so that multiple of those strings <laughs> had that exact right feel. <laughs> Or that one string, one year, um, sh the string that you would pull would actually drop out a secondary box that also had strings <laughs> and there was like a separate prize in there. So, um, I mean, these were so fantastic and the kids would like, the, well, the parents would be like, I cannot believe you made that. And it was just so much fun. And we worked together on them. Yeah, and it, it was it, a lot of fun. We have, a, we have a lot of really happy memories around getting those pinatas made and then having them at the parties and then hanging them in the kids' rooms for a while after the party. And yeah, yeah. I still have some, I think, actually. Yeah, we have the um, the Taj Mahal is in the basement. Still, so. <laughs> that, was, that was the year of India. Of the yeah. <laughs> Um, that sounds amazing. I would say I would totally feel inferior as a parent coming to one of those birthday parties <laughs> going, how the hell am I going to top this for my kid? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, one of my favorites was the year Ethan picked Pokemon. And so she made the, what's the purple? What was the name of the Pokemon? Oh what was his name? Anyway, it, it's not purple. Mewtwo, is it? No. no. Oh, okay. So it looks like basically a purple flame. And so she makes this, but she says to me, what I want is I actually want the candy to like shoot out. And so she used like a drill motor to like spin this Pokemon so that it would like, shoot out the candy. I mean, it's, you know. Oh my God, we have video of that. Cause the first trial, like the candy went flying out like missiles. <laughs> Thank God we tested that before we just turned the children. Um. I gotta ask, like, first of all, I've never even heard of a string pinata, and I love that though, because you were absolutely crazy. They are right; the kids go crazy, right, with a bat. Yeah, like, they, they totally we've do. gone to a we've gone to at least one party, kids party that had a pinata, and like they put a bat in my at that time eighteen month old daughter's hands and say like, "Have at it!" And I'm just like, oh, "Everybody no. out of the way!" <laughs> You yeah. know, <laughs> you can't really blame them. I mean, no, <laughs> I'm sort of like that with tequila, but you know. <laughs> so, so I love, uh, I'm going to now probably go down rabbit holes of string pinatas, but how did you, I mean, not knowing fully, you know, how it's constructed at all. I, it seems like something that would take a considerable amount of effort for design and for, um, I mean, not just the overall design to go with the theme, but the design and coming up with, okay, yeah, where do we put the strings at? How do we get this to open where we want it to open? 
Well, I mean, she, I, I just have to brag on Marielle for a couple of minutes because I know she's not going to say this about herself, but really she has such a, a, a marvelous combination of engineer and artist. And uh, so when you, you apply a problem to her, like we want a string pinata, we don't want children bashing each other's heads <laughs> in at the party. And we want it to be really cool and kind of artistic. I, I like to say she puts that idea in her head and it cooks around in there and cooks and cooks. And she used to love to say to me, well, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this one. I don't think it's going to work out. Right. But of course it was cooking around in there. Right. And um, then she, she kind of is able to manifest that because she has a, a really wide degree of knowledge in um, science where she does quite a bit of her daytime work, right? And um, part of that is machinery and understanding how machines work. And then she just has this um, marvelous artist's brain as well. And so, I mean, like you say, like, well, how do you know how to do that? She can put it in there, figured it out. You have to defy gravity too, because getting five pounds of candy <laughs> you just hang in the air. Right. It's, not, it's not trivial sometimes. No. <laughs> um. And I do think, uh, uh, to your point, Lisa, like it's it's a certain mind that works that way, right? Um, like uh, a lot of artists and creative types, we can see things spatially, right? We can close our eyes and we can visualize how we want something to look and how to take up that space. But I am the first to tell you to actually make something move on its own. Yeah, that's not my ball of like, I'm like, I need somebody else who knows that. Who can work through that because I could come up with a million ideas but never actually get them across the finish line of something to work. Um, that that really is the beauty of community, right? Which mm -hmm. is um, this idea of I've got this great idea, I wish I knew how to make it, whatever. And then because we've got such a fantastic community, you almost always know of someone that you could you know, Instagram message and mm -hmm. say, I, I want to make this move. And then they come up with, you know, the hive mind comes up with some really great ideas. Yeah, exactly. But I'm going to say, I'm going to do a little bit of math here on my end. So if your oldest is 21 now and you met <laughs> when he was three, um, <laughs> that means you were doing some of this stuff before we had access to being oh, yeah. able to just send a quick message, right? And and yes. get that, like you said, hive mind going. So what's been like starting your, your journey there? Was there a community that you had access to that you could tap into? I mean, my my first maker community was the glass blowing community. Um, but it, you know, and that was pretty extraordinary because it did span the globe. I mean, I, I had some really fantastic opportunities to study glass blowing all over the United States as well as in Italy. Um, but nothing really came close to the sort of YouTube maker revolution. When that occurred, you know, when I saw Laura Kampf making, you know, welding in her shop in Cologne, something changed in me and mm -hmm. it it has been extremely positive for me to to see women from all uh, walks of life as well as well as men I mean some of my best mentors quite honestly both uh, as a scientist and as a maker have been men uh, it's just been really fantastic to you know find my tribe and be able to interact with people all over the world. 
-hmm. And, you know, you just don't realize you didn't have it until you find it. Mm -hmm. And it's really been an extraordinary experience. I don't know. What about you, Lise? Yeah. I like, like, um, it's like the first time you put on your, the glasses, the way you didn't <laughs> yeah. know you couldn't see until you put on the glasses and you're like, oh. wow, <laughs> things look great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was in the theater and the theater is a very strong community. That's one of the reasons you do theater is for the community. And uh, so I think when I left the theater, uh, it's not that I didn't have a community in graduate school and in academic stuff, but it's not, it really isn't the same mm -hmm. as a creative community. Um, and so when we got together and found after, what did you call it? The YouTube revolution. Yeah. As the YouTube revolution took off and found that community that really started to fill that need that I had developed after having left um, the theater and I still do a little theater now but um, uh, it, it's not really the same right when you have little kids it's really hard to be in the theater it's always mm -hmm. nighttime you got to go somewhere and um, so the this this is really it's different it's a different type of community and a different type of creativity and it's something we can do together and um, our son does stuff, stuff with us as well too so it's become a family thing as well. Yeah, I, I love that you mentioned the difference between um, creative community and kind of the more, <clears throat> maybe not just even academic, but I would say just maybe like uh, professional or career-based community, right? I feel that creative community accepts everyone who comes to the door as themselves. Like there's just yeah. not a judgment there, right? We're more interested in what's inside your brain than what yeah. <laughs> what package you're coming to the door with, right? There, and, and there's this uh, almost like this sensation of immediate warmth. And uh, we, we actually experienced it last night. Uh, so last night we had the Halloween and we had created that little candy shoot so that we could have the touchless COVID-19 mm -hmm. compliant candy dispenser. And, you know, some families, you know, we didn't have a lot of trick-or-treaters and some families kind of didn't really understand where to go and what to do. And then there, were, there was one kid in particular. And I mean, as soon as I spotted her, I was like, oh my God, she's wearing a narwhal costume. She was a narwhal, right? It was awesome. It's the unicorn of the sea. Yeah. <laughs> and she, she looked at that Katie Spencer like, oh, this is the candy dispenser I've been looking for. <laughs> yeah. Three times. It was like way, an immediate. Yeah. It was just like an immediate kinship between us, and I think that's kind of what this whole uh, YouTube uh, revolution of makers has kind of uh, cultivated. Yeah, for us. I think too that you know, there's in improv theaters, there's the yes and. That's mm -hmm. how we do improv theater. Yep. I feel like in our professional worlds, quite frequently the um, primary frame is yes, but, mm -hmm. whereas in the maker community, it is always yes and. <laughs> so, and that, it, there's such a palpable difference of being a part of a community that wants what you've got and they're really excited to, to make that in, you know, into mm -hmm. something even better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I have to pause for a moment. You're just touching base on, I, I spent a week of, uh, 
I won't call it training, but training last week for my, for my job, job stuff, it was mm-hmm. called extreme facilitation. And yeah. we actually were learning about the power of yes. And versus mm-hmm. yes, but <laughs> so I had to yeah. pause for a second of like, ah, I thought I'd gotten away from that class, but apparently <laughs> not. Apparently not. There's no escaping it. <laughs> no escaping it. <laughs> makers do you know lauren of rasp and file designs well if you don't you should definitely go check out her work you can find her on instagram rasp file designs lauren is making all kinds of cool furniture and home decor pieces out of live edge uh, hardwoods and metal bases um that's not all she does though so you should really go check her out and see what she's up to especially as holiday seasons are coming up and i know all of us makers really enjoy making our own christmas presents but perhaps you're running out of time so you want to maybe go check out lauren she's in the dc area so especially those who are close uh location wise to her so go ahead go check her out at Raspfile designs on instagram and let's get back to the episode Hey makers, today's episode is brought to you by Tool Mom and Company, or some of you know her as Tool Mom Bonnie. Uh, She has all kinds of tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing for all ages and genders available at toolmomstore.com. I have two of the coffee mugs. One says, Go Girl, and it has a circular saw with flames coming off the back, which is super sweet. And then the other one is the definition of a tool chick, which just makes you feel kind of badass when you're drinking out of it. So if you are in the market, especially as we're getting close to Christmas, for any tool-related merchandise, be that gifts or clothing, make sure you head on over to toolmomstore.com. And extra bonus, you can receive 20% off at checkout if you use the coupon code MAKERMOM. All right, let's jump back into the episode. So I love that you brought up too that, you know, your, your son gets into uh, kind of making with you now too. So you started your journeys together, young kids, um, and then getting into making and, you know, for birthdays and such, but it, I mean, it's always been, would you say it's always been on that, at that hobby level or Marielle, you mentioned about glass blowing. I mean, was that something you ever got to do more professionally? Yeah, I did um, some craft shows, but I, I, again, it was really on the craft level. I never really developed what I would call a language uh, in any material. Um, It's more um, for me, just kind of learning about the process uh, enjoying the process. Uh, one thing that I loved very much about glass blowing is that it stopped all of the voices in my head <laughs> <laughs> because I had to focus. Yeah. Um, glass blowing is, and especially the kinds of things that I like to make. So I, I like to make goblets for quite a while there. And so it, it, it is a uh, process of seconds. I mean, you really, the timing is everything and you need to do very decisive movement movements at specific times. And so for me, that was fantastic because then I could silence all of my worries and concerns about anything else and focus on what I was doing. And I really enjoyed that. Plus I'm a 
I'm a fire sign, so I really love being hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think also, um, you know, we really strongly love the education part of the maker community. And so when we talk about kind of our uh, retirement dreams, like are are we going to leave our daytime jobs um, to to do things that are creative on a more full-time basis? For us, we talk a lot about, you know, would we be able to participate in teaching and in the educational component rather than the, for example, um, making things that we would then right. sell necessarily. So um, I think, you know, we were in Portland at the, in the Girls Build program this summer, and um, that is right up our alley. We, we really like that. We really like sharing um, knowledge with excited and eager people, and the, and the girls in that program were just, that is an outrageously fantastic program. I yeah. will recommend that you interview Katie Hughes because she is. I think have boy, you she is have you mom. already interviewed Katie? What's her? Is, she is the founder. She's of the founder Girls of Girls, Girls Build, and essentially, I don't you know, think. Charter, I don't think I, I haven't had her on yet, but yeah. um, I've been she's reaching good. out to. I've tried reaching out to her, and um, also uh, Girls Garage trying to get a hold yes. of both those ladies about uh getting on the podcast yeah i think katie would be a great interview um and if you if you want i'm perfectly happy to try and facilitate if if you're having trouble there but you know she founded girls build uh, and and the idea here is to inspire curiosity and confidence in girls at a very kind of critical age that eight to twelve years of age uh, where they're really lacking in confidence. I mean, Lisa, being a, a psychologist, can tell you all about <laughs> what happens at girls at that age and, and inspire that through building. And it's just a fantastic program. And we, we really enjoyed being a part of that this past summer and hope yeah. to do more of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be contacting you, Lisa, when, my, when our daughter turns eight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and that is actually, we have been so lucky to be the beneficiaries of marvelous maker um, teachers uh, from the people who just share, who don't even think of themselves as teachers, but share their time with you and share their thoughts with you. So Laura Kampf, I think, is is really the the goddess of that, right? She is so (laughs) open with her, uh, with her skills and with her craft and with her Mm -hmm. ideas. Um, But then we've also had more formal uh, teachers who we've just benefited so greatly from and we would always want to be putting back into the community in that way as well. I would say that falls into that maker community kind of yes and spirit too, right? Like I think all of us teach each other something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and you I know, think- companies like uh, Lincoln Electric, where they sponsored the um, spring make and, you know, had people come in <laughs> from all over the United States and just start welding with their equipment. I mean, it's that is mm-hmm. unheard of in the United States to, yeah. <laughs> to do that sort of thing because we're such a litigious society. But I mean, we met, that's where we met Ashley Minnie. Um, we met April Wilkerson there. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an extraordinary was event, it and was we great. learned, it was an extraordinary you know, um, Zach Herbeholtz was there, uh, Skull and Spade was teaching blacksmithing, I and mean, it was a really extraordinary event, we really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Jimmy was there. Yeah. <laughs> the godfather. The godfather, that's right. <laughs> um, 
So I, I, I want to kind of ask something. So I totally understand, uh, Marielle, your, your overlap between like professional career and making, right? You kind of, I could see you probably understand a lot more of the science behind certain aspects of making. Um, but I guess maybe I want to pick on you a bit here, Lisa. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of psychology that goes into making and specifically why people, um, I feel like almost every human being needs to make something with their hands, uh, not specifically woodworking or metalworking or, or whatever, but just to physically work with your hands is something that is uh, an innate need in us. Um, and I think there's so much in that, like you talked about, Marielle, about glass blowing. You, I mean, talk about an act of like mindfulness, right? You have to be in that moment because you're dealing with seconds. And that's so good for somebody, especially people who struggle with anxiety or depression or any of that uh, to work with. Yeah. <laughs> so I gotta, I gotta know, like, I mean, how much overlap do you feel from both of you between like, do you see the lines getting more and more blurred between like the professional and, and the hobby side of, of life? It, for us? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think that my um, involvement in the maker community has changed my teaching. So I'm definitely influenced by the maker community and by not just the teachers, but sort of the spirit of it and the connection of it in my interactions with students in the way that I design classes. Um, as you say, uh, what what about thinking about activities that allow you to both um, learn material academically, but also show some creativity? And you know, it, even if you can't ask them to specifically build something in your class, right. could you have them write letters or write stories or do other things that, where it's just a little bit outside the normal? So I think 100% for sure my maker life has influenced my teaching life. I also talk a lot about my maker life and I, um, I try to be a role model to um, aspiring students who all want to go to graduate school and um, to, to sort of say, but there's also these other parts of you that also need to be nourished, that, that need your love and your attention. And so don't get so strongly focused on the books and the journals and the graduate school that you lose touch with these other things. So I, I definitely think makerness has influenced um, my psychology. And I think psychology definitely influences my, um, my maker life as well. You know, when I, I, when I think about what are the things that I'd like to you know, experience in the maker world, I do come at it from sort of what is my personality? Um, what are the, what are the things that would reflect my personality in there and, um, and, and paying homage to things that are dear to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just hear yeah. study. Whenever you, when you, when you said that, I just hear study. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, I, I think I'm with you. I think there are two kinds of people in the world. There are makers and there are soon-to-be makers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it's just our job to unlock that soon-to-be and, and to make that time between uh, soon-to-be and 
a maker to make that time shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I think um, kids know this. They put their hands on materials naturally. And there is that period, that very vulnerable period of time when societal pressures and school pressures and their own frustration with how the things are turning out. You know, So they sort of lose the love of the process. And we, as a community, not the maker community, as a right. larger community, yeah. I don't think do a great job of saying stick with it. Like, don't lose that, even though it can sometimes be frustrating. It doesn't turn out the way that you want it. We don't do a great job because we've gotten so focused on, you know, the, let's, thing. the, the thing and the end mm-hmm. and the degree and the job that you get. And uh, that is very important, right? And we're highly educated home. Yeah. We, we think that school is important, but I think the other side is just as important and we're not doing as good a job of really helping our kids through that rough time and that rough transition so that they will also um, be makers or soon to be makers all the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say like I've seen, I mean, my my two kiddos are definitely much younger than yours. Mine are, you know, seven and soon to be five. and watching both of them who are extremely creative, you know, Mariel, to your point, I mean, I think we're just born that way, right? We're just born creative and allowing them to express it in the ways they see fit. But I have one who is very, the younger, who is very, I would say, much more okay with it not coming out perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And my oldest is so focused on whether it's perfect or not right out of the gate, Um, and trying my best to be able to show lessons, to even be able to point out things and pieces in our home that I've made to be like, okay, see this right here? Mm -hmm. That was a mistake. Like That was something I did not plan, you know, but you roll with it and it still functions and it's still, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And also being able to teach that lesson of like, don't compare yourself to the expert because you have no idea how long it took them to get to that level of expertise, right? Right. Yeah. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. So um, kids, as you model across time, I had a frustrating day in the shop and I'm still going to go back tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, <laughs> right? Across time, they start to, to see that and they can take that into their hearts as well. So, you know, just because this particular project didn't come out, like this is this is a life that you have, yeah. this creative life forever that you have rather mm-hmm. than this one project is meaningful. Yeah, right. this was, um, I think glass blowing as a hobby is something that kind of acquaints you with that early on because, when you first start glass blowing, very few pieces actually survive to the end <laughs> because the temperatures, you know, glass can do all sorts of things. And that's, you really have to pay close attention. I had one teacher who, who used to say, it's just glass. It's not world peace. <laughs> and, it, you know, when you hear yeah. that enough times, you begin to realize that, yeah, it's just glass. And really what you need to hold on to here and enjoy is the process of what you're doing Mm -hmm. and you can't worship the thing Mm -hmm. because if you worship the thing you may end up being quite disappointed but if you instead worship the tools worship the process and worship the community you won't be disappointed so i i want to bring in i i uh uh, one of the 
uh, listeners of the podcast had sent me an article to read about this kind of definition of maker and how maker is being held in such high regard versus like it was in stark contrast against like a caregiver right a caregiver is not necessarily um producing something that's a physical item Mm -hmm. but they are so much like you could say somebody could a caregiver could make or break the end result of that product depending Mm -hmm. on their and and so but it was directly related to the like silicon valley type of idea of maker right and this high regard that i think particularly in the u.s i'm not going to say worldwide but particularly in the u.s we as um, a society hold put up on a pedestal like that next great idea, that next great thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're all chasing that and then we can lose sight of that process, that it it should be more about the process of getting Mm -hmm. there versus the end result. Um, and, And I think... I guess I don't know. You guys see it. You you know, your kids are almost, well, one's probably out of the house, I'm going to assume, uh, or close to it. And yeah. your other is, is on the way. So you've seen oh. them grow up. <laughs> you've seen them grow up. Uh, and then uh, seen those stages of understanding, you know, frustration, like you were talking about and getting through it. And then as makers yourself, what do you see as especially in this YouTube revolution, do you feel like make our community, if you're looking at it as we're looking at it, not a Silicon Valley type thing, do you think we um, idolize the process or the product? I think um, there, uh, I think you see the entire gamut. Um, when you look at our maker community, you see some people for whom the end result is the thing. And you have also many people for whom the end result is almost um, irrelevant. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, of course, right, of course, right. You, you know, you, but, but, it, but in the end, what it has been exciting about it is getting there. Um, and I, think that there's something to admire in, and then, I'm sorry to interrupt myself, but then I think you see um, people for whom both is true. So I think of Frank Howarth mm-hmm. and I, um, he clearly is into the process and he documents the process and he shows you the process. And then the end result, I don't know what his personal feelings are about right. the end result, <clears throat> but his end results are just undeniably spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you kind of get that nice uh, with someone like that, where really um, you get both ends of it. And mm-hmm. then I think you have other um, people who are really showing you how to get somewhere. And I, I think in welding that you see a lot of that, where the, the, the end thing is actually not quite as important as this is how you would get to Mm-hmm. something like that. And then you apply your own creativity to whatever your end point will be. Mm-hmm. I would say probably the same with like, like uh, blacksmithing, right. Mm-hmm. Or, or forging anything. Um, there has to be a high focus glass blowing. There has to be a high focus on the process mm-hmm. because it's, it takes a lot of technical skill to be able to get to an end result. 
Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> not just not just on your own part, but also you really can't make extraordinary things. Or there are few, let's say there are very few glass artists that make extraordinary things by themselves. You really must develop a, either a partnership with single person or in many cases a team of people. And often, you know, nonverbal communication is like key to everything working out. So that is, um, that's definitely a big part of it. Uh, the ability to interact successfully with one another in, you know, kind of can be very stressful situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all I think of when you say that is I like totally binge watched the entire season of Blown Away on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun but it was exactly it right each of those artists was given a team because yep. in order to create uh what they wanted what they envisioned they had to have a team yep. in yep. order i mean to if do you it. want to make anything big at all in glass i mean it, that's just going to be very difficult to do all by yourself mm -hmm. and if you think about some of these really spectacular large pieces by very famous glass artists if you go to youtube and find a video of them it's like 10 people yeah. in the studio yeah. right yeah. um and and you get tired and hot and then the next person comes in and yeah. does their part yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, that's um, a lesson in what it means to be a good team, right? And be able to yeah. work together well. Um, so a lot of people who listen to this podcast have small children. And especially right now, we're dealing with a lot of our kids uh, maybe being home perhaps more than we were all used to. Um, uh so especially since, you know, you both have kind of kept it your creative making side as more of that hobby, like when you're, when you had small children, how did you, it sounds like you kind of worked them into your processes to help you be able to have time for that. Can you just maybe share a little bit about that? So we kind of had one of each. Um, our daughter really had her own gig going on. I mean, she had her own very strong interests and she would spend hours in her room, whether it was drawing or making things out of clay or I don't know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, so she was very sort of self-driven. And then uh, our son, Ethan, is he's more of a team player in that he, you know, he wants to interact with others while while he's working. And I think Lisa did a fantastic job with him early on teaching him to cook. I mean, that's, that's making as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, from a very young age, they were in the kitchen and frequently enjoying mm -hmm. making something delicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, I think both of us really would bring them at least by our side. Um, and even if um, Marielle might have been in the shop doing something that, you know, a small child can't mm -hmm. do that, that's dangerous for a small child. There, we're um, the type of family that if we're in the kitchen making something, I'll say, oh, let's run out and, um, and let Marmar taste it. Marmar is what they call her <laughs> since when they were little kids. So let's run out and let Marmar taste this. And so, you know, here we are side by side making in the kitchen and then we go out to the shop. It's a place that you go out to mm -hmm. and you see what's going on there. And then you say, show us what you're doing here. And so even if they were too little to participate in 
actually physically making something, they weren't too little to participate in the joy of mm-hmm. this is going on and we can be a part of it and, you know, um, do these, do these, this together as a family in yeah. some way. Our, our family is big on the report. Yes. What's the report? <laughs> That's the report. Tell us everything about it. Tell, yes. tell us what you how how much you got done today. What do you what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Yeah, I, I like that. I think we've unintentionally started that the report. Uh, in, in our home as well. Uh, we do. We always do what was best about your day around the table, yeah. which we started. Uh, actually, we started because of of COVID. Because it's like mm-hmm. we need something. We each need to find something positive. <laughs> Um, about this day. Um, and so usually, you know, shocker, most of the time, mine is like, oh, I got to get into the shop and woodwork today. Um, and after my son rolls his eyes, <laughs> he'll, be like, <laughs> he'll be like, all right, well, what did you do? Like, what'd you get done? Or if they know about a specific project I'm working on, they will ask that like, okay, well, what'd you do to it today? And where's that type thing? So, yeah. Speaking as a psychological scientist, I will say the practice of gratitude has quite a bit of data behind it. So good, well done family, (laughs) adding gratitude to your day. (laughs) You know, another thing I learned last week during my class. (laughs) It's, It's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking the other day about how when I was a child, it was very difficult for me to not complete a thing. I really didn't like doing things that had like multi steps and you had mm-hmm. to, it was so difficult for me to break away and know that tomorrow it's going to be there and right up again and as an adult that has become much much easier for me mm-hmm. and uh so and it, as a result it, i've been able to do <laughs> many different types of things mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that. I was I was the same way. Like if I got that new Lego set or new Connect set, yeah. like mm-hmm. if I got it on Christmas, if it was one of those like big things and it was supposed to take 12 hours, I stayed up for 12 hours hey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and made it because I could not walk away. Even though I knew I'm like, I don't have anywhere to go tomorrow. I will be yeah. right here. Yeah, I had to finish it. But isn't it marvelous that by the time our kids were kids, they have those little boxes. They know, right? Those kids, so they have now they have these little boxes that That's right. you can still have the process. You can still do it, but it's a smaller thing. That's so right. You have to tell your parents, no, I'm staying up till three in the morning. I have to finish this. Yeah. yeah. So maybe there are times when I really should put everything down and walk out of the shop Yeah, and take a break. That's right. I was going to say, yeah, I still don't know if I've necessarily learned the whole walk away thing. (laughs) I will definitely get sucked in and, and I will have to walk away, you know, go pick kids up from school or whatever, but with hard stops, but it's still one of those things. that's like, I can push it just one more minute. I can like, (laughs) we call that the, uh, don't get, don't make this into a paint on the ladder scenario <laughs> yeah. from a, a uh, notable time in someone's history where <laughs> the paint was on the ladder and you think to yourself, I'm just going to do one more thing and guess where the paint is five minutes later. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> Let's not make this a paint on the ladder situation. Let's clean up, go in while we're still fresh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, ladies, we're actually getting towards the end of our uh, time together. I thoroughly enjoyed this chat. Um, 
I will say it has gone. It's gone somewhere. No other podcast episodes gone. So I always appreciate that. Um, But I want to give you both a chance to let people know, you know, how can they uh, follow along with you on social media and such? Uh, I do have an Instagram. I'm Dr. Lisa CB on Instagram. I am also on Facebook, Lisa Cravens Brown. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm active-ish. I would say moderately <laughs> active. Uh, whenever we've got something exciting going on, I'm definitely posting on there. And I certainly welcome, you know, if people are interested in talking, reach out to me there. I'm happy to do it. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm uh, Marielle Brinkman. I'm more Instagram than Facebook. Uh, and I also have a YouTube channel that I very rarely <laughs> put videos on. <laughs> oh, but you should check out her most recent one. It's very short. It's um, She made it for our friend Emily, who Emily I Joyce, believe so. also um, mm-hmm. talked with you um, about incorporating a little bit of math into your life. It's really a, lo- it's a lovely <laughs> video. So check it out. I will definitely check it out and I'll put links for that specific video too in the show notes. So uh, thank you both so much again for chatting with me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It was marvelous. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Again, that was Marielle and Lisa, and I will include links on how you can follow along with both of them in the show notes. So the best way to find that is in the description on whatever app you're listening to the podcast on, you should see the clickable links in that description to go follow along with them. Or make sure you're following along with Maker Mom Podcast over on Instagram. That's just at Maker Mom Podcast. And um, I always, on every Wednesday and Friday, I always post and give links uh, to the guests so you can easily follow along from there as well. All right, if you're really enjoying the podcast and want to help bring more visibility to all of these awesome female and non-binary makers that um, I'm interviewing here, you can make sure that you are subscribed on whatever app you listen to the podcast on and uh, head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review that tells all of the algorithms out there that this is a podcast that you enjoy and others like you might enjoy it also. Plus, if you could uh, share about your favorite new maker or episode on Instagram, make sure you tag uh, at Maker Mom Podcast. You can share in your stories or in your feed and uh, just make sure you tag me so I can see it. I always appreciate and really enjoy seeing those and knowing that uh, another maker connected with you. Um, And I will share that out as well. All right, and if you want to go a little bit deeper with your love of the podcast, go ahead and head on over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Maker Mom Podcast. You can check out how you can join the tribe over there. There is a one, three, and five dollar tier level that comes with different merchandise. All of it gets you access to any additional content like live interviews as I get them scheduled out. And then there is a $30 a month tier level that makes you an official sponsor of the podcast. Now, those spots are limited. In fact, I only have one more available. So if that is something you think you might be interested in, you might want to jump on that sooner rather than later. But that gets you your very own ad spot in each and every episode of the month. 
And then lastly, if you just want to get some uh, merchandise like a Maker Mom podcast t-shirt that's rocking the mom squad on the back or just a sticker, reach out to me, shoot me a direct message on Instagram and we can uh, make that happen. Now, when I am not interviewing guests or editing uh, episodes together for the podcast, I am designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes over at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings pretty much across all of the social media. You can find me most active on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, but you can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn and Pinterest. I'm trying to think if there's any other obscure ones. Nope, that's it. Just look for Freeman Furnishings on all of those apps and you can find me most up-to-date and relevant as far as what project I'm currently working on, you would definitely want to check out TikTok and Instagram. All right, so it is Friday. It is the end of what has been a very long week here in the States. Um, An anxiety-ridden week, I think, for most of us, regardless of what side of the aisle you might fall on. Um, But I hope you all are doing well. I hope you are staying healthy and staying safe. I hope that you can find a way to bring yourself joy this weekend. Maybe that's making, maybe that is disconnecting from social media and spending time with your family. Whatever that is, I hope that you really get a chance to do that. I hope that I can take my own advice as well with that. And um, yeah, I will see you guys next week with two more episodes. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Maker Mom podcast. You can connect with the Maker Mom community in the Facebook group page, Maker Moms. And remember, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, leave an awesome review, and share this out with other Maker Moms you know.